Cooking with Chopsticks. The truth about dictatorships. A podcast with Chin Li Wen and Marcel Chang. Li Wen, hello. Good to be back with you. Hello, Marcel. Good to be back with you. You seem to be very busy. What are you busy with? A lot of stuff actually piled up in the recent weeks and uh, I was really busy with, I don't know, with a lot of extra assignments I had to take care of. But mostly it is, it is related to China issues. One of the issues that really was astonishing within the last month now is that the Chinese government cracks down on a lot of sectors in Chinese societies. The tech industry that has been curbed its expansion by the government. Uh, you see the entertainment industry where several celebrities in China have been downsized. They needed to close down their social media profiles and stuff. Um, you have crackdowns on the online gaming industry. Kids in China are no longer allowed to play more than four or four and a half or five hours a week online gaming uh, until they are 18. So there is a lot of really harsh interventions from the state. From the outside, we look at it and we wonder, wow, isn't that China that tells us It wants to become a society or a country which is part of a shared future of the world where every country has the chance and ability to create wealth and create happy people. Does that policy of cracking down on everything, does that correspond with a shared global future or is China actually going its own path right now, which seems to be concerning in certain ways? What is your point on that? Yeah, the thing is that all the crackdowns are happening at such a stunning speed that international observers are now all quite at a loss because in the past, the government suddenly come up with a policy and then the analysts analyze why did the government does this specific crackdowns on this sector due to this and this, this and reason. But we have never seen more than a dozen or dozens of crackdowns on all sorts of things from fintech company to AI algorithm to entertainment industry and then to individuals like fan groups or feminists, etc. So all these things happening at such a speed in such a short time is really something very new. We have never seen that for decades. What is going on? What is going on is a good question. I think it shows a very clear thing. There is a strong will from Beijing. They want to strengthen controls because probably they are feeling that something is out of control. As to what is out of control, we can only guess because, of course, Beijing will never tell you. What we can guess is that the crisis faced by China at the moment is multiple and it is never at such a scale. It's partly due to the pandemic, but actually it's not because of the pandemic only. There is a huge demographic decline. We know that. Last year, China's population growth was the lowest ever since the Great Famine in 1960. That was really scary for the Chinese government who rely on the cheap labor model for the economic growth. This year, according to the statistics, we already know that in some local places found out that the population growth declined further to 12 to 16 percent, less than last year. Sharp decline. 
So that's why the government is now cracking down on feminists because feminists are urging women not to have children or not to get married due to the worsening situation of women in China. Then you have crackdown on fintech companies. Also, Chinese government is banning any virtual currency, for example, Bitcoin. On one hand, because Bitcoin mining has costed a lot of energy, and China is now in a great energy crisis in northeast part of China, they had to shut down the electricity of the whole city and didn't notify beforehand. Well, this is a subject, by the way, for its own, right? I mean, the second biggest GDP in the world has to shut down energy supply for industry for for private people. Fifteen years ago, I would have said, "Okay, China is on the on the shore to become an industrialized nation. It's a process of development." But now we're in 2021, and China seriously wants to challenge the world, the U.S. on its leadership by industry, military, and even by its political system. This is really a, a subject that's mind blowing. That suddenly it, it's not only just a four hour gap of electricity, right? We're talking of a, a day long closure of energy supply. It's long. It's actually gonna be unpredictable. Local national grid company has notified, like in Shenyang, they have notified the local people that we will from now on regulate the electricity irregularly without notification and repeatedly until March. That's their prediction. The price of coal has doubled or even tripled. It depends on where you buy them. So the national grid have to produce the electricity with a pure loss. Meaning, every degree of electricity they produce, they are losing money. That explains the shortage of of the energy. When we put that all together in a pot, why does that funnel, or how does it funnel into that crackdown? Why is the response of the Chinese government a crackdown on several parts of society and industries? How is that related? When all these crises come, it's a stress test for the government to, first of all, to divert people's anger. To make them feel that there are other enemies in the society, rather than the incompetence of the government, it is to create false enemies everywhere, so that people get really busy talking about this, talking about that, but the, not the elephant in the room. But wouldn't it actually anger people? For example, when the kids kids are totally upset. I mean, who cares about kids? We know no government in the world, right? Of course, now, who cares about kids in China? I mean, the kids in China are manipulated and are subdued by their parents, right? Many parents actually applauded the government decision to crack down on the games. But there is dissent, of course. The younger generation who all play computer games, and now they are really pissed off. But that creates anger instead of just distraction from from other problems. It does, but then the government also knows how to do other shows. For example, the crackdown on the IT companies, on the fintech company, can actually benefit because people also have their own resentment against the big internet companies. For sure, the internet company have to pay billions of penalty for their so-called trespassing of rules and etc. That will bring a lot of income to the government to serve the public expenditure. And the other thing is that Xi Jinping previously gave an open speech about common wealth, which is addressing to people's anger towards the huge wealth gap of China. And of course, big internet companies gathered a lot of money from the society. 
this kind of crackdown on them seemed to promise something to the common people that they would benefit from the crackdown of the fintech company, that government will collect money from them and redistribute it to the society. The crackdown on the celebrity fan culture is also very smart because the celebrity fan groups in China are very powerful. They are the most powerful self-organized grassroots groups in the society at the moment that is allowed. So they actually could become a threat to the government if there is any uprising or organized protest. And cracking down on this fan group actually appeal to other groups outside of fan groups in the society because they see these fan groups as stupid young people wasting their money on the celebrities. A lot of people just feel very repulsed by them. So that, again, is sort of like now we are cleaning the environment of the Internet. We are dealing with all the bad elements on the Internet. And so it's a new kind of cultural revolution going on. And you know that actually cultural revolution was very successful from the beginning when Mao Zedong called on the young people to start a revolution against the so-called anti-revolutionaries. It's because people feel the power. So you instigate one group of the society to attack another group of the society. It gives people this false sense of power and they are happy about it. And they just jump at this opportunity because normally you don't get a say. You are like an underdog in the society, so you have no say. You are kind of stressed by the high-pressured society and the expectation on you. You cannot fulfill them. But where do you get people need the sense of control, need the sense of power, then they can easily participate in this sort of mutual attack. It is very hard to imagine that in democratic society, but if you grow up in China, the whole environment is so poisonous that you always find certain groups that support the government crackdowns on this and that issue or sectors. Like all these kind of crackdowns. What does it mean for, for China itself? First thing it looks like, all these crackdowns are reactions to symptoms that have been sparked by their policy. Yeah. Now they're fighting the ghost that they let out of the bottles and now they're trying to put it in again. But what do you think it mean for China itself as a coming or want to be superpower in the world in the future? How does that correspond with the global expansion plans? Actually, that's the interesting question. I think you ask a very good question because I have the feeling that at the moment, China has more or less slowed down its global influence expansion, focusing at the moment on the domestic turning of tides. Turning around what exactly? If you wouldn't name it in two sentences or even in one, turn around what actually? An environment where people try to find thought of niches for whatever they like to do. Let it be online gaming or let it be making a lot of money. What, what do they want to avoid? What does the Chinese government not want to happen, basically, by these crackdowns? I would say, if you know the history of China, of opening and reform of China, the path laid down by Deng Xiaoping around 1980s was the path that China goes along opening and reform, integrating into the world market and allow private sector to prosper domestically gradually make China more and more open and follow certain basic rules of market economy. 
Although the Communist Party has never let go, sector like state-owned enterprises was always put on priority because that's the pillar of the communist rules that the biggest companies in China should be state-owned enterprises. But private sector was allowed to grow to such an extent to challenge the public sector. That was the direction pointed by Deng Xiaoping. China has been treading on for four decades, but we somehow sense that since Xi Jinping came into power in 2012, there is a phenomenon that economists talk about repeatedly, which means the advancement of the state and the retreat of private sector. The state-owned enterprises are grabbing more and more profits and more and more power and opportunities from the private sector. In many ways, they are sucking the blood from the private companies. Let's put it this way, because they are less efficient than the private companies. And since Xi Jinping came into power, gradually all the big internet companies, for example, have to let in one state-owned enterprises member to sit on its executive board and to take important power, like veto power, in the executive board. And more and more private companies are punished and cracked down nowadays, handing in ransom to the government. I call it ransom. Government call it penalty. To show that they are loyal to the government. And it's more and more difficult now for the private sector to do anything. I mean, of course, the business environment is bad for everybody. But it's more and more difficult for the private sector compared to the public sector. Rich people start to really panic because they don't know when their business will be cracked down and they will lose all their property. Just like in the 1950s, when Chinese Communist Party entered Beijing or Shanghai and nationalized business there. That is one fear. I think China probably would not do this because to run a private company is very difficult for the government. So what the government would do is to take more control of the private sector, like directly sending someone there to oversee the whole company and make sure that the profit will be shared like they were sucked blood directly from these companies and rich people will be punished just because they have money. They will be not protected by anything because government will always find a way to, to tell you that you are operating illegally here or there, then I can just send you to jail, which already happened in the past years in Sun Dawu cases, which local entrepreneur who dared to say something against the local government's um, illegal operation, then his whole company was confiscated by the local government. And these sort of cases are getting more and more common on local level. I just wonder if, if you crack down on, on tech industry or on private business, I wonder if you can keep up the innovation spirit in, in such a country. People who are willing to be innovative, to take risks and to, to create their own ideas might come to a point where they finally say, you know what, at the end of the day, I'll be blocked by my own government to do what I want and to do what's best for the company. So I just don't start it. I prefer laying down, lay flat, yeah. for example, right? That people are not, not, not willing anymore to give all their energy to something that they finally will lose anyway because the state will interfere. 
there must be a reason for all these crackdowns. Or the underlying argument must be that the fear of the government is so big that they accept this kind of risk, apparently, because they probably, they probably know that private entrepreneurs might be getting angry or might be a bit reserved on, on further investments, on uh, developing businesses. Mm. So there must be something behind the curtain that they are really afraid of to, to just cut it down with all means. Talking about lying flat, by the way, you know that government also cracked down on lying flat culture? Yeah, I know. We talked about it last time, right? I think you raised a very good question, but I will frame the question this way. Do people really have a choice? At the moment, what I see is that the Chinese government is making sure that people have no choice at all. There are two things that people outside China kind of ignored and didn't see. One is that China has stopped issuing new passport to most of its citizens since the pandemic, which means nobody can get out easily. Only those very privileged business like Huawei people or overseas students, like if you get admitted to good universities abroad, you have a chance to get a passport, but that's not guaranteed. Immigration, immigrate to other countries, is extremely difficult now. And along China, Myanmar and China, Vietnam border, there is a thousands of miles of long new wall built with artificial intelligence assisted cameras installed along this border. And people don't pay attention to that. I mean, it's really long through this border. This border used to be where the refugees or dissidents escaped China. They, they escaped to Myanmar, but now it's completely impossible. For thousands of years, these borders served the border trade. People across the border just visit each other because they're relatives, but now it's completely cut off. In the name of pandemic control, of course, it's always like that. And so if you look at China, it's a country that is basically in jail. I mean, its citizens are in jail. I think it perfectly fits into the vision of the dual circulation plan that Xi Jinping has raised about some years ago. It's called Shuangxinhuan, which means we create an inner circulation of economy within China. So made in China, consumed in China. I mean, after all, it's an economy like, like a European Union itself. And then there is an external circulation, which is China manufacturing goods for the world and sell it to the world and make sure that China get all the foreign currency from other countries. But China is not going to buy too much, right, from other countries. So, so it's all like uh, perfectly planned at the moment. If you belong to this inner circulation economic uh, member, then you have very little choice but to continue with your life at whatever condition that the government gives you. You can't even run away. If you are persecuted in the past, maybe you escape. Tomorrow I go to the US. Isn't that creating the dissent the Chinese government is totally afraid of? What I see is a kind of confidence at the moment that the government seems to be very confident in manipulating the public opinion to such an extent that dissents don't even dare to show themselves on the social media anymore. Or in private, they can complain, but 
it doesn't matter because everybody's under surveillance, right? With their mobile, with the cameras, and with AI spotting not only your face, you can now enter a subway station by scanning your face with a mask on. And they can recognize you through the way you walk, which is called gait recognition. Imagine the fear. If you dare to organize anything, you immediately be find out. I mean, if, even if you say, okay, I change everything and then I hide, you can't even buy anything because everything is digital now. So, okay, to, to wrap that up a little bit, that means like basically when we crack down on tech industry, rich companies need to disband parts of their business. They are not allowed to issue an IPO on a stock exchange. When you have all these things, also the not wanting kids to play online games too long, not cultivating an enthusiasm for celebrities too much, maybe. The online gaming is also a good example because online gaming nowadays work when people actually play together. Nobody's played in front of his computer by himself, but basically you are playing against a lot of people at the same time, right? Even from all over the world, you can play online. So it occurs to me that the general idea is isolating everything, isolating units in companies from each other, isolating people who share the same enthusiasm for certain things, isolating every little thing to avoid that people gathering together to build something right build a, a common dissent maybe so it's it's all about fear that groups might gather and start to dissent with the government it's about divide and rule yes everybody is itemized this has been an old trick of the government yeah it's very effective Exactly. And the side effect probably is that when we're talking about self-isolation, that a turnaround means that you cut people not only off from the outer world, but also from the closest inner relations they have, right? So that everybody is by himself. Well, the core question is, is China is doing a favor for itself when they turn around things and they separate themselves? Dual circulation is one thing. Within this dual circulation, starting to isolate the single individual, if this is beneficial for the countries or the government's plans to become a superpower. I'm trying to understand the basic strategy. I, I think you are still seeing the Western model as the only way to superpower. I think China has proved that scattered individuals without political ability to unite themselves is actually serving a superpower of a new kind very effectively. As long as you don't raise dissent politically and you work your ass off as a slave and as a slave master in your own organization simply for the purpose of producing technology and economy or other business in a way that doesn't threaten the regime, it works perfectly well. Modern slaves... I mean, we are talking about modern slavery. Modern slaves are those who are bounded by capital, by the job opportunity, by the real estate prices they cannot afford. And this sort of thing, like raising a family, as long as this is the thing that is still bound them, they work their ass off to, to achieve whatever is set ahead of them, like a like donkey chasing a carrot. That already proved to be very effective in the past decades. What is ineffective at the moment, probably by what the Chinese government is doing, is stopping its uh, international exchange. That might harm them. 
That's why the government still allow Chinese students to go abroad to study, but only to the good universities. That is how they plan. You still have、uh, talents educated abroad and bring knowledge back, but then. They realize that they don't need so many of these international talents because they might creating instability. Once they go abroad, they might learn something very bad politically, like they might become dissidents in the future.、Mm-hmm. So they only want to cultivate、uh, a group of talents that is enough to serve the elite and probably leading sectors. And as to the domestic、uh, talents, at the moment. They believe that they already have enough talents there to educate themselves, to learn, and to just serve very well for the manufacturing industry and the development of China. I mean, look at Huawei. Huawei is still getting a lot of money at the moment, even though other companies don't get loans. Huawei can get unlimited loans still to invest globally, attracting global talents for themselves. But on the other hand, it looks like. Or it occurs to me that there's no other country like China that tries to drive the exchange with other countries as much as China. There's so many forums with the EU, with every single state. A new forum here, a new forum there, a new association, a new cooperation on technology, new cooperations on industrialized, whatever let it be. So there's a country that really drives its exchange with foreign countries. But just look at the exchange they are doing, right? I know. You know what? I think what we underestimated, what the rest of the world, I think, totally misperceived, was that China was willing to pile up all these exchanges and forums to be told how things work in the world. I think that the general plan was always the general China strategy was always. Now we go out in the world. We let them believe. They tell us how things gonna be better. But in fact, we tell them in a very subversive style. Keep on pushing, pushing, pushing China's ideas. It occurs to me that it really works, and that big parts of、uh, or inf- influential parts of societies abroad do adapt China's ideas. So instead of we are promoting our ideas in all these forums, China started to promote their ideas, and it's working pretty well. So these forums are not a forum to be taught, but to teach the rest of the world, basically. Conversation is a kind of two-way game, right? Normally, the conversation has stopped already ever since I think two thousand and eight. Right. You know, and that's the thing. You know, when, when we're talking about human rights dialogue. We have a human rights dialogue for so many years, or the rule of law dialogue. There is no dialogue. There is only China pretending to have a dialogue. Exactly. If you if you compare that, if you, if you put that into perspective about what really has improved in China from the Western model or the Western way of thinking, what we expect to improve in terms of rule of law and and human rights. Well, yeah, of course you have rule of law in certain things.、Uh, well, business-wise, definitely rule of law,、uh, intellectual right properties and stuff、uh, has picked up. Not maybe not applying necessarily for the foreign companies, but within China, there's a lot of rule of law now actually regulating all these quarrels between the companies. This is mine; I produce it first. Stuff. So there you have kind of rule of law. But our expectation was actually to make it a, a rule of law that gives. The people kind of a sovereignty towards their state, and this has not been achieved at all. So 
I always hear the argument we still keep talking in these forums because you need these forums. You need to have forums for these people within China who really want to make these kinds of improvement. And if you cut them off, you also cut off these voices, these single voices still there, still out there from contacting and building the bridges to Western societies. To be honest, I don't really know how many of these people who are, I mean, international society, people who are engaging in dialogue with China still believe that there is a dialogue going on. I think at the moment, nobody really believes that. They just say to the public, I mean, the Western bureaucrats would just tell the public, oh, we have to keep on engaging and blah, blah, blah. But that's because otherwise they get out of their job. In private, many of them have vented their frustration over decades. I mean, um, unless you are an idiot, you already know that <laughs> the conversation has stopped. The whole stagnation of any progress in China have been so obvious and for such a long time, it's more than a decade of stagnation and backward slide into even worse situation like rule of law in China, etc. You still find people in Germany saying, oh, we need a new forum. We need something that is totally unbiased, where we can talk freely about of our concern. To be honest, I very much suspect these people are faking their ignorance. They are faking their ignorance. Yes. I think there is a decided faking of ignorance in Germany about China because they don't want to offend China. They still want to do business with China. They still covet the market in China. All these interests combined make them believe that China is still shapeable from outside, that China is still open to outsiders' opinions. Mm. And China will give in at certain point as long as we talk. But what is driving them is definitely not human rights passions or whatever. It's definitely interest. Otherwise, you would have been angered long ago by this real development on the ground. Mm. So what does it mean for China's near future? The country will keep on cracking down on other industries. You think this is just the start of an avalanche? I think it's just the start of um, a reshaping of the whole economy uh, to tighten up the grip on the rich and to also tighten up the grip on the bottom of the society. Basically, this is the end of the opening of China and it is already the beginning of a new cultural revolution in a modern version 2.0. It's no longer the China that kept opening up and reforming towards a more laissez-faire or freer society. That's what I mean. I mean, you see that uh, the, the crackdown on the tech industries is always related to personal consequences. You have the boss of Alibaba, Jack Ma, who now totally withdraw and he prefers painting, as I read. So you have Zhang Yimin, the founder of ByteDance, which runs TikTok. TikTok is a company or an entity abroad from ByteDance. He withdraw. I think he wants to be a philanthrope now, like they all want. Recently, Didi founder, Didi, the, the Uber-like service you have in China. Jean Leo, one of the founder, also announced that she will withdraw. She apparently gave away that to, to some of her closest co-workers to look for another opportunity because they ex expect a huge crackdown on Didi as well. 
So even when you make money, you are now forced actually not only to share your, ve your wealth, but also to just shut up and just hide in, instead of being a public figure anymore. Private sector entrepreneurs, yeah, they are now all shut up. That's a very alarming development for everyone. Then we come back to the point where if people really want to still take the spotlight and still want to go in that position where they really want to create something and bring the country forward, because at a certain point, as I said, they say, no, thank you very much. I will lose it anyway at the end of the day and the state decides what, what will happen with all the things I build up. Mm. Oh, we also forgot to mention that there is a huge uh, real estate crisis looming ahead of China at the moment. That is another crisis. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, all these crises, the natural reaction of the government is to crack down and to preempt any large scale of dissent, of course, just to scare people away from it. Private entrepreneurs could be influential. So it's very important to shut them up before the real crisis comes. So the question is, a China that more and more cracks down on everything and isolates its own people from the rest of the world and the individuals from the rest of the society, how shall the rest of the world handle such a country in the future? I think there's not a lot of answers yet out there because nobody really expected that. This is total opposite of what everybody expected 20 years ago, what will happen. And now we're at the total flip side. I think it's okay to continue whatever, whatever they do not to lose too much in the, at the moment, right? Like companies who are still, who already invested in China and should keep their business as much as they can so that they don't face this huge disruption. But what one shouldn't do is exactly what BMW is trying to do, is to invest billions of euros into China to to expand <laughs> you know when they all invest so much money it always occurs to me that they they kind of trying to buy themselves out of trouble like okay you know what we invest even more but just don't give us any more trouble okay uh, and by that strategy they run into into deeper trouble <laughs> just instead of just yeah they're giving ransom to yeah kind of yeah an abductor who actually have no bottom line so you could keep on paying ransom, but you probably will have to pay even more without getting much in return. This is one of the, the big conclusions I'm drawing from the last 10, 15 years, even from my time in China, from my, my experiences. From the government side, there will never be the time point that when the government would say, you know what, we really squeeze the other side. We're good now. Come on, let it be. We're good. No, they will squeeze you. And push you, they wouldn't stop if not an outer force will interrupt it or there's nothing left. Exactly. Simply look at Meng Wanzhou, right? Meng Wanzhou was arrested in Canada due to the United States FBI's pressure. So Canada had to arrest Meng Wanzhou. Yet Canada didn't want to offend China. But what did China do? China took three Canadian hostages, two American hostages, so five people. Yeah, five people for one the, a Chinese citizen that they consider very important for them. So it's a kind of hostage exchange. That can happen to everyone, right? Basically. It can happen to everyone. Whoever. Germany have still so much business there. So Germany is actually held hostage at the moment. Every country, every Western democratic country is. So 
I don't know what people are thinking at the moment keep on expanding in China with all the uncertainties and all these obvious strategy that Chinese government adopts to blackmail everybody to follow their rules. I have no clue. This is also a pertinent problem with the new government in Germany. Would they ever see what is coming? Would they acknowledge that it is time for change? To really think thoroughly, how should they disengage with China, at least to reduce the hostages in China? Well, I'm not sure, but I don't expect big industrial players from Germany to generally change their strategy anytime soon. Yeah, well, then... I think they still believe in, in, in that kind of, well, we go there, we are intertwined, and we keep on investing and things will be good at the end. Okay, Liwen, it was a very, very comprehensive, complex and a big, even complicated subject because it has so many angles and perspectives, right? Yeah, it is. And there are so many things going on. I mean, it really blows people's mind. But, um, but let's hope for the best for Germany. <laughs> well, I mean, let's hope for the best for, for basically everyone who doesn't want an authoritarian system to dictate, determine the conditions, yeah. how a world should function. Because if we accept that, then we have much more authoritarian aspects in our daily life in a couple of decades here as well. This is my great concern. Yeah. So let's see how the world decides. Thank you very much for your time and here next time. Thank you. See you. Bye. with chopsticks the truth about dictatorships a podcast with Chin Li Wen and Marcel Chang.